Well, hello, my friend. My name is Joe Bakmotsky and welcome to Simplify Cancer Podcast. And here we are talking about how to live a better life after cancer. And today I have a special guest for you. His name is Michael Schaefer. And Michael is a comedian and we talk about his experience with testicular cancer and what life looks like today and why clinical trials for below-the-belt cancer that ends up are doing are just so vital today. Michael Schaefer, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> Michael, what I want to know is like, what was life like before cancer? Oh, um, it was pretty busy. I think I was like working quite a lot and, um, you know, trying to make it in, in comedy and stand up. So that was kind of my focus. So yeah, I, I just, I guess I remember being very busy and like career obsessed. Oh, that's, that's a good place to be, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I think um, I've always loved like working and, you know, love performing and writing comedy and getting on stage. So yeah, I was having a really great time for sure before, uh, you know, cancer started to derail things. Yeah, man, and that's like a, the big moment when it like just really like just hits home. And like, I think, you know, when you kind of find out you have cancer, uh, like what was it like for you? I mean, yeah, I mean, I imagine it's probably the same for most people. It was very, I guess, quite surreal in the sense that it took me a while to really process, you know, what the diagnosis meant and what that kind of meant for the next few months and in years of my life. So it's very surreal. Um, yeah, I was lucky that I had, you know, great parents and a, and a partner who were incredible supports and remain that. So, yeah, I, I was lucky to have that around me for sure. But, you know, it's, it's, it was very strange to go through a, like a life-changing um, moment when I was only 26, you know. Yeah, for sure, man. And uh, and can, did you feel weird kind of telling people about cancer, like your know, friends and family, or, like people you work with? Because I guess, like on one hand, you you don't want to be like overly dramatic, but on the other hand, like you don't want to be dismissive either, right? Yeah, it's. I found that really difficult. I I actually didn't really tell that many people, at least not at first because I didn't really want that to, like, define me, if that makes sense. I didn't want people to, like, think about me as a, a cancer patient. And I've always kind of been big on presenting. I've always wanted to be just a, a strong, you know, got it all together kind of person. And I think telling someone that I had cancer kind of shattered that a little bit. So I didn't really want to make it that public and also when i told people like i felt like it was my job to make them okay with it as well which was always super frustrating <laughs> you know i feel like i had to manage their emotions and um and that's fine that's kind of the situation but you know there were times when like i'd tell a friend and you know they'd give me a hug and i'd be like this is don't hug me this is gross like i'm just you know if people would feel sorry for me <laughs> and that's the worst thing that you know they could have done so yeah, I felt like it was an it was frustrating. I think trying to deal with people who meant well but made me feel worse. 
Yeah, I know. Because like sometimes people say like the weirdest things. Like I, I had like I, had, I remember just someone telling me that. Listen, I just know that everything is gonna be okay. And I was like, well, uh, that's great because I sure don't know what's gonna happen. You know? <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, like I mean, it's nice to be optimistic, but I mean, they're not a doctor. They haven't seen my scans. Like they don't know what they're what they're talking about. You know, I. I'd always have like my my parents have religious friends who'd be like, oh, it's okay, we're praying for Michael, so he's going to be fine. And I'm just like, <laughs> I'm annoyed that now that I'm better that they're going to take the credit. You know, they're going to be like, that was <laughs> that was us. We did the prayers and God answered. But no, I'm pretty sure the doctors and the nurses and the researchers deserve some credit here. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. Give them some credit. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly, man. And um, you know, you know, but like it makes me think that one of the, I guess, for me, great takeaways from, I guess, from testicular cancer is like I don't have any hangups about like my genitals anymore. You know, I just had so many, <laughs> you know, nurses and specialists touch it. Like I'm just, you know, if you were gonna be like, I, I just gonna touch a testicle, I'd be like, yeah, you know, cool, go for it. You know, it's just not a problem anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's really true. Because before, I think I didn't really want to go to a doctor for a while because I didn't want. A doctor to be, to be looking at my junk but yeah now i'm just like yeah go for it you know i'm just walking into you know subway and being like if you guys want to look at my balls while i'm here go for it um it is strange how you just quickly overcome that i think <laughs> yeah exactly and did you uh, did you did you have that conversation by the way with that uh, with the urologist i remember like it just came up for me that this conversation like, he asked me whether i wanted an implant you know um, yeah did you get one like no i didn't i didn't either did you no <laughs> i mean i guess it it's it it was i remember like really thinking about it and i i i guess i should just should just say to um like if if someone doesn't know what that is it's like an implant is like is i guess like a like a like a plastic type of thing that they would like a round thing that they would put inside the empty skin of the testicle to kind of make it look like you got two testicles yeah <laughs> but when you but in fact you don't <laughs> i think it's really funny i mean i kind of understand it because i think if you're like a young guy you know you're and like you're still going out and dating or whatever you know you might not want to bring it up in your first sexual encounter that <laughs> oh by the way i've only got one testicle but um yeah, I do think it's funny that men kind of do obsess over the appearance of their testicles just because I think that the male genitals are the least attractive part of the male anatomy. So I just think less is more kind of down there. So, you know what, if they just want to keep hacking away, that's fine with me. Yeah, exactly. You know, man, like, yeah, it's so true. Like, I guess if you're, yeah, if you're out, if you're dating, like, it would be... I'm sure I would have massive like just issues thinking about it. Probably I would just be thinking about it now if I wasn't, you know, married and stuff. And yeah, and and also this just also made me think like those implants, right? Like, I mean, you would imagine it if it was. You could, I wonder if you could get it in different shapes. You know, it, it doesn't have to be round. Maybe it would be <laughs> not like a square. Give me a square one. I want hard yeah. edges. That's what I want in my in my scrotum. <laughs> Yeah, because that's that's would be like a, like a like a statement, you know. Yeah, I wonder if they also like match it to like the size, like if it's like a 
do they kind of give you the same size or because my understanding was you have three options it's small medium large that was my understanding of the process and i was like well what if you're kind of in between you know a, a small and a medium like what what do we do then so yeah i've i always found that really funny my because my you know urologist said to me you can get it if you want but a lot of men get it and then they find it really uncomfortable and they they, they get it taken out oh really i didn't know about that yeah which would be really annoying to have it popped in and then be like oh Let's get rid of it. Actually, I think that would be so frustrating. So, yeah, I was just like, you know what? I'll just, I'll just go around with the one. I don't think people are going to notice. Yeah, absolutely. But so, and listen, tell me, uh, Michael, how did you, how did you get into comedy, man? Yeah, well, I was finishing like my law degree in uh, America, in Washington DC. This is in 2014, and I didn't really want to be a lawyer, so I was on exchange over there in Washington and decided just to throw myself into doing comedy. So I just had to go into a lot of open mics just around Washington, D.C. and fell in love with it and got really addicted to performing and getting laughs. And, <laughs> you know, if I, got a, if I got a laugh, then I'd go to another gig and try again. If and I didn't get any laughs and I bombed, I'd be like, I got to go to another gig and try to get a laugh. So it became this really... Um, addictive hobby and yeah this is now i guess my career yeah awesome so and how did it change when you uh, like obviously you know you went through cancer and you <laughs> you were probably thinking at some stage well how, how am i going to kind of work around it what was it like for you yeah well i i kind of wanted to not talk about it on stage for a while just because I felt like I had to really process what was happening and kind of, you know, understand what my thoughts were about it all before I tried to talk about it on stage. But probably after about six months or so after my diagnosis in between my chemotherapy, you know, treatments, I decided just to, you know, have a crack at talking about cancer on on stage. And I was so nervous going into it because... I just, you know, wasn't sure how people would react to it. But fortunately, I was, you know, really pleasantly surprised that I think people really connected with it and they, you know, laughed a lot, I think, because it was, you know, very real to me. So, yeah, it actually, I think probably, you know, getting cancer and talking about it on stage probably made me funnier, which is, um, <laughs> which is a terrible realization to arrive at. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And did, did you think it like did it gave you a different, I guess, insight into your own experience with it, with cancer? Yeah, I'm not sure if it gave me a different insight, but like my kind of approach to anything that is uncomfortable or hard in life is to make jokes about it. And I always find that if you can laugh about a topic and make jokes about it, it's easier to deal with. And I think that was what you know, comedy was for me when I was going through treatments and, you know, going through some really tough times that if I could still joke about it, I felt like I was still in charge or I had a sense of control over it. So, yeah, for me, it was really important just to maintain the comedy and, the, and to still find all the funny things and the absurd things that happen to you when you get diagnosed. So, yeah, I think it's probably a bit of a coping mechanism for me, comedy. Um, but I think it's been a really effective one for sure. 
<laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because I think it's like it's, and I guess for you, obviously it's comedy, but I guess it's it's just finding. I think some, some, like whatever works for you in terms of being really a creative outlet, right? Something that, I mean, you, you, it could be, I mean, it could have been poetry. It could have been, um, I don't know, painting or whatever, right? Like it's it's as long yeah. as it, you get that feeling that you kind of putting it out there, right? Yeah, absolutely. And also like when you do stand-up comedy, you really, well, at least in my experience, I've always just had to draw on my own, life experience to kind of generate material and when you get diagnosed with cancer that kind of consumes your life and becomes really the only thing that is going on in your life for a period so I kind of had no choice but to talk about it and use it for material otherwise I just would have had nothing else to really talk about during that period. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so, uh, uh, did you have any like weird experiences about it on stage? Did it uh, did it ever feel weird in any way, or did people react in some way that you didn't expect? Yeah, I mean, I think the worst is if people kind of react with like pity. You know, like <laughs> I think I was like, I don't want like you know, if I go on stage and I'd say, oh yeah, I've got. You know, I've got um, cancer. This was kind of, you know, in between chemotherapy rounds. I'd, I would look pretty unwell and I would be talking about it. So people, I think, were tense. And then I would be like, don't worry. Like, I'm, I'm fine. This isn't my make-a-wish or anything. And then that <laughs> would kind of diffuse the tension a bit if, you just, if I just acknowledged that in the room. Because people, you know, they kind of feel naturally people will feel bad for you. That's just a natural human empathetic response when you see someone who's unwell talking about cancer. But, um, yeah, I think that is a healthy thing, but it's, it's terrible for comedy. You don't want that at all in comedy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pity. That doesn't, doesn't, doesn't seem to go well. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think, you know, it's when you, uh, when you say that, it, it almost um, makes, you, makes me think that people don't really know what to say right because nobody like gives you like a, a like an instruction manual to say well here is what you say or don't say to a person like who you may maybe going through cancer because i mean you don't want to say something that would make them feel worse or make them feel weird in any way but on the other hand you also don't want to look like you don't care so it's <laughs> it's a weird place to be right yeah no i really do feel sorry for people you know who are in that position and don't know how to react. You know, I think every person is different. So, yeah, I don't want to say, yeah, be sympathetic. I don't want to say, no, be be, be standoffish. Um, I think it depends on on the person. Uh, what, what, what would be some, what would be like your, one of your favorite stories that you like to tell about your cancer experience? Um, like if you're, if you're on stage or at the cocktail party, as as you do, <laughs> um, yeah, that's a great pun, by the way. Doing doing talking about testicular cancer at a cocktail party—that's a perfect place to do it. I like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I mean, I think that's the funniest story is that you know when you I imagine you might have had to do the same thing. Then you before you start chemotherapy, they recommend you go and do a, a sperm deposit at an IVF clinic if you want to. <laughs> have kids in the future. Did you have to do that as well? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, so um, I, yeah, I was told, you know, you should go and do that because, you know, you, you want to have kids in the future, you know, kind of 
safeguards um, that that for you. So I went there with my partner, and I don't know why, but my mother wanted to be there as well. So my mother <laughs> drove me and my partner to the the sperm clinic, and you know they called me in to go and do the thing. And my mother and my girlfriend are just like sitting in the waiting room waiting for me to, to be done. And I've just <laughs> always thought that's the funniest image, just my mother and my partner waiting for me to masturbate in this room right next door. I just think that's the funniest image. I don't know what they spoke about, you know, during that period. I don't know if my mum turned to my girlfriend Amanda and was like, does he always take this long? Like, I don't know <laughs> what she said. <laughs> but I've just always found that such a beautifully funny moment and it really really just is perfectly encapsulates my classic Jewish mother who just wants to be involved in everything and you know <laughs> wants to be part of every decision making process and somehow managed to to drive us to the IVF clinic and my girlfriend just being confused the whole time as to what my mother was doing there it, it was very very funny <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious, man. You just brought me back right into that time. Because, and I don't know, like for me, this was also experience where it's incredibly hard to concentrate, right? You're up, uh, I was in this room, and I don't know, they kind of had this bad, like, uh, like the soundproofing wasn't great. Like, I could hear, <laughs> like, I think to like two people, like, uh, in, like in the coffee room talking to each other. And, and I was like, oh my God, like this isn't the, the environment where I could, you know, I, I have to be really, really creative, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's the weirdest, it's just the weirdest setting because they try to, I remember, I think they try to make it like, I don't know, sexy. Like I remember like on the wall, there was like a photo of like a couple, like it was kissing and I'm like, but then it's just like this sterile couch where they put like a little plastic mat over the top of it it's just it's so funny (laughs) it's so funny and i actually remember walking into that room and thinking this is hilarious and i just will have to talk about this for the rest of my life (laughs) yeah absolutely i remember this i i I, yeah it's 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 a surreal experience and that's that's really right before you even go through uh, any kind of treatment well yeah exactly that's how you start off you start off by having a jerk off into a cup and then they they give you the chemo so it's just a such a weird couple of days that's for sure (laughs) yeah exactly and how do you um uh, what's it like for you because i know like for me especially at the start it was actually hard going like after eventually i ended up getting my old clear and i i think at the the time i thought okay cool i'm kind of done with this thing but then I realized that, you know, every every so often you're going to have to go in and you have to go all, do all these tests and uh, and you kind of have to, well, to see if the cancers come back and physical exam and all of that sort of stuff. Uh, what was it like for you? Was it, did you kind of, how did you deal with that? Yeah, I mean, it's super hard. I think it's something that probably isn't spoken about much in the context of treating people with cancer that, you know, you do your treatment and hopefully it goes well and it's effective and it does the job. But then there's that waiting period, I guess, afterwards where they, you know, monitor you pretty closely. Like, you know, for me, I go and do a CT scan every couple of months and a blood test 
um, and I'll be doing that pretty regularly for a few more years. So, you know, my oncologist thinks that I'm cured and, he, you know, he's really happy with how everything's gone. But, you know, I've still got that to live with. So, yeah, it's hard to um, deal with for sure. But I don't know. I think it also is good to be reminded of your own mortality and how everything is finite. I think it forces you to really focus, you know, your life, you know, being reminded of that every few months, you know, make sure, you know, you're living the life that you want, you know, that you're pursuing things you want to pursue, that you're with the person you want to be with and all that because, um, yeah, when you're reminded of your own mortality every every couple of months, I think it does sharpen your focus a bit. Yeah, exactly. It kind of forces you to be like really present, you know, when I think about it, because you almost can't think too far ahead. Like it's you kind of you make plans, right? And you kind of think about the future, but at the same time, you you, you kind of want to be in the moment because it just makes it real. Because you go well. I mean, I, you know, I'm just kind of this one moment away from, you know, having this thing, whole thing come back. And in a, in a way, it really, like, helps me, yeah, like, really bring me into just just living life, like, at, at its fullest. Like, being, being, like, fully present, man, you know, like, just with, you know, in what I'm doing and with my family and just it's an opportunity to really check in with myself and see like, am I really living the life that I truly want, you know? Yeah, 100%. And, um, you know, it's a shame that cancer kind of, you know, forces you to think that way. But I, I think it is one of like, I guess the positive outcomes that, that does come from it, having to think about your life in that way. Um, so, yeah, I mean, look, for me, there's that underlying anxiety that I have to, deal with but there's also the benefits that come with having that anxiety too you know i think everything has you know pros and cons you know in and in how it affects your life and cancer is just another thing that does have some pros for sure yeah absolutely (laughs) not that i would have thought like thought about it this way you know just a few years ago no i don't think i would have thought about it that way either but um yeah, I think that um, I think it's true. I definitely think it's true. Yeah, absolutely. No, but then again, you wouldn't recommend it to anyone. No, I wouldn't recommend like taking up smoking just yet. I think you'd probably <laughs> be better off being, you know, not having to deal with it. But if you do have to deal with it, I think it does. There is that benefit of perspective that it does give you. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, Michael, I know that you're um, you're a big supporter of Anzap. And listen, what does it mean for you? And I guess, how did how did you find out about it? How did it all come about? Yeah, so I think we got in touch because they, of course, are a fantastic charity that raises money for below-the-belt cancers, such as, I think, prostate cancer, penile cancer, and testicular cancer is another one that they work on. So they raise money for research um, to develop treatments. So, you know, without those treatments, without that research, I know I wouldn't be alive today. So I kind of feel uh, very, very indebted to ANZAP, um, you know, for the amount, for the kind of funding that they, they generate so that we can develop effective chemotherapy and 
radiation therapy or whatever it is for different cancers. So, um, yeah, a fantastic organization. And, you know, I do a bit of, I guess, ambassador work with them and you know, perform at some of their functions. I think uh, I did a um, gig for them up in Sydney uh, a couple of months ago, which was uh, a lot of fun for like all of their um, team and, and donors up there, which was really great. So, um, yeah, I try to pitch in and, and help them out where I can. Yeah, good on you, man, because that's such a fantastic cause and I I, I really um, uh, just love what they do in terms of, yeah, doing clinical trials because it's not something that you kind of think about, like, I guess, as, a, as, as like a regular person about clinical trials, but that's really like, uh, you know, I guess the only way to bring new treatments just into life, right? Well, yeah, exactly. I think like, we're talking a lot about clinical trials now that we've got a COVID vaccine or multiple vaccines going through clinical trials but like i mean you know scientists have been doing running these types of trials for for decades developing you know treatments for a range of diseases including obviously you know cancer so uh, and without those trials they just can't work out if something's effective or not or if it's safe so yeah um yeah it's obviously really important to to fund you know you know to donate to cancer charities you know and they're all fantastic i think for me ANSIP is the one that i can see like directly you know, creates treatments and, and saves lives. And um, they're kind of, I guess, not as well-known, I think, in the Australian public as, as some of the other bigger charities, but I think they're so effective and and they really punch above their weight. Yeah, absolutely. I just uh, love the work that uh, NZIP does. Uh, it's And it's, it's, it's really, um, I think to me, it really cuts to the real core of, of the patient, right? It's really goes directly to the, you know, really finding better outcomes for people, right? It's, it, it doesn't go into kind of, you know, kind of early maybe um, research and development so much as I understand, but it really goes into these clinical trials to, to find better treatments. And I always think about it, you know, this, like when I, I, you know, say I look at the trials that ends up as running right now, let's say for testicular cancer, and I look at those things and, and I go, well, I either could have been on, um, uh, well, one of them is for one of the treatments that uh, a version of treatment that I was on, and one of them could is a version of treatment that I would be on <laughs> if the cancer comes back. So it's very real, right? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, it's um, it is a bit. Uh, yeah, it's amazing because sometimes you feel like you know you give to charity and you feel like it's very remote. But um, yeah, I think for for me and you know anyone who's got a cancer experience, like the the trials that they run, like directly impacts you know the outcomes that you know a lot of Australians face. It's um, yeah, it's so crucial. And like I think my oncologist kind of gets funding from them as well. Like it's all, you know, it, it's remarkably close to, to my story. Yeah, same here. Like one call just the same is going to introduce me to that world because it's, yeah, it, it's, and and that's what I really love about it, Michael, is that it's like real people, the people who treat you is the people who are actually then go away. And, you know, the next thing they're doing is they're looking for better treatments for, for those same cancers. Yeah, 100%. No, it's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely, man. So, listen, Michael, if somebody wanted to find out more about, like, what you do, um, where would they go? What would they do? Uh, you can uh, Google me, Michael Schaefer. Um, you can uh, follow me on Facebook and Instagram. 
and I just made a TikTok account, so you can follow me now on TikTok. Um, that's Whoa. how my lockdown is going. I made a TikTok account, so uh, <laughs> things are things are heating up here. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here, Michael. It's been awesome to to chat to you, man. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate it. Cheers. <laughs> and listen, uh, thanks, man. And it's I'd love to hear your stories about TikTok because that's that's something that I've been thinking about. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a wild place, TikTok. I'm trying to work out who's on it and what it's for, but um, gives me something to do during a lockdown. That's for sure. <laughs> and how has lockdown been for you, by the way? Oh, it's mostly just been boring, but it's been fine. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to complain about um, being bored because a lot of other people, you know, in my industry in particular, are having a tougher time than me. But um, yeah, it's kind of boring because I had so many shows kind of organized around the country, but then, you know, that's all, you know, falling apart. So, yeah, it's kind of a bit of a shame now and I'm trying to organize like a tour now for next year. But, um, you know, you kind of like booking stuff and you just are like, okay, I think I'm doing this. So, you know, <laughs> that's kind of COVID, isn't it? You just um, you book things in and you're just like, oh, I, I, maybe this will happen, you know. So yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. it is. Yeah, how about you? I guess you've, I mean, it's good that you've got a podcast like this. I mean, it's something you can kind of keep generating in through lockdown. Yeah, it's 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 good like that. But at the same time, you know, I've, uh, again, I was, I, I actually wrote a book during lockdown. I finished it and I was planning to go and, and do, well, do like a book tour this year. Um, is that it? This baby. Uh, oh, cool. What's uh, it called? Finding Hope. Finding Hope. In times of uncertainty, uh, a guide to thriving in a challenging world of today. That's my self-help book. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, it's, I guess, you know, what I've learned in dealing with worry and stress and craziness of life. Uh, yeah, great. From cancer and stuff. So I was going to go and do um, a book tour, but needless to say, it kind of, <laughs> it didn't go to plan. So yeah. Um, I'm hoping, well, I kind, of, I kind of did a couple of like virtual talks and stuff, which has been interesting. Um, but yeah, I'd love to kind of do more things when things go back to something resembling <laughs> normal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, hopefully if I get to access it soon, I was lucky I got the, uh, you know, I qualified pretty early for the vaccine because, uh, because of the chemo. So, um, that was a, a positive, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, if there is one. If there's a silver lining to chemotherapy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, hopefully we can all get vaccinated. You can do your book tour. Or I can go and do some shows. We'll see what it, hopefully that can, that can eventuate. Yeah, well, but that will probably will, will already get boosters or something. Yeah, seriously. Seriously. I can't wait. Give me that booster. I'll do what I have to do so I can get out of this house. That's fine. <laughs> absolutely man well listen it's been um absolute pleasure talking to you man and just meeting you um yeah hopefully we'll we'll um talk talk soon man i hope so thank you man thanks for having me on and uh yeah best of luck with with the book store i hope that you get to do it yeah thanks man and hopefully hope you get to rock out and and uh yeah we'll catch up in real life one day amazing thanks joe take care thanks man you too michael see ya well, listen, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode 
of the Simplified Kenza podcast. Listen, as you know, I'm just a huge fan of Anzap and the incredible work that they are doing in the space of running clinical trials for below the belt cancers. And that's why I want to make a huge difference and support them in what they're doing right now. And that's why I'm doing a special promotion. I'm giving $5 from every book that I sell. You know, and this, this is my latest book, Finding Hope in Times of Uncertainty, a guide to thriving in a challenging world of today. If you go to simplifycancer.com forward slash enzyme, you can purchase this book for only $27. And that includes shipping and handling anywhere in Australia. $5 from that are going straight to support Anzap Cancer Trials Group and the incredible work they're doing. And also, I'm going to be giving you some really special bonuses to go along with it. This is the book, as you might know, where I'm, you know, I'm sharing like practical ways and things that I've learned in terms of dealing with cancer and the stress and the worries of daily life that can might really serve you. You have the opportunity to buy the book in Balkan, get these special bonuses, and remember, $5 from every copy sold on that page is going to go straight to support the incredible work that Enzap is doing. So the URL, again, to go to, you can click the link in the show notes, or I'm here to share it with you. Again, the link is simplifycancer.com forward slash Enzap. My name is Joe Bukmulski. Thank you so much for being here. I'll be chatting to you soon.